Welcome to the podcast, From Crisis to Connection. I'm Jeff Stewart, licensed marriage and family therapist, and I'll be bringing the professional perspective. I'm Jody Stewart, unlicensed wife, mother, daughter, sister, friend, and neighbor, and I'll be bringing the regular everyday perspective. We are all about relationship recovery, and we'll tackle tough topics like infidelity, abuse, addiction, pornography, and betrayal trauma. We also focus on helping you build stronger connections in your most important relationships. So thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Before we dive in, we want to tell you about a free resource you can download immediately called The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust. This is an online course that covers how to deal with broken trust, how to heal if you're the one that broke the trust, and also resources for the couple. And this is a video course that I filmed that is short and sweet and has lots of great information to get you started in the recovery journey. We'd love for you to see it and learn from it. You can download it using the link in the show notes and we'll send it to you immediately. We're going to talk about transactional versus transformational relationships today. Now, that may seem like a big mouthful, but I promise you once we get into it, it will make a lot of sense. I discovered this guest actually when a colleague of mine sent me a TikTok video with our guests discussing this very topic, and I knew immediately I had to have her on the show. I thought she was fantastic. Uh, Transactional relationship dynamics are actually pretty common, especially when you're trying to heal from broken trust. So many people that have broken trust, they're trying to rebuild it and they're trying to do the right things, but a lot of the times they can inadvertently create like a dynamic that can create more resentment for themselves and even their partner. And so we're going to discuss today with our guest how to challenge that dynamic, how to identify it, and create a relationship that's more transformational instead of just transactional. Okay, so our guest, her name is Julia Witt, and she is a therapist that has been working for the past 20 years in mental health and substance abuse treatment. And she provides effective evidence-based treatment, and she works a lot with complicated diagnoses and trauma. And she also tries to provide a platform of emotional literacy, somatic-focused understanding, and learning how to let emotion integrate into our needs for authentic and autonomous living. And she has a great channel on TikTok. I'm not even on TikTok, but I jumped on there just to learn and see more of the videos she shows, and there's some fantastic stuff on there. She's a great educator, and she wants people to make peace with their emotions. And I really appreciate all the work she's doing. She actually is also an adjunct instructor, provides telehealth, and has a coaching program focused on emotional regulation skills. And we'll give you more information about her at the end on how you can contact her and find out the cool stuff she's doing. So let's jump into our interview here with Julia Witt. Welcome back, everyone. Good to have you on the podcast again. Yeah. So we are excited to welcome Julia Witt here today. I actually uh, discovered her when a colleague of mine sent a video of her discussing a topic that we're actually going to cover a little more in depth today in our interview with her today. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let me just read you a little bit about her and her background. Julie has worked in the mental health and substance abuse field for the past 20 years, and she's provided effective evidence-based treatment, and she works a lot with complicated diagnoses that are trauma-focused, and uh, she also does a lot with emotional literacy, somatic uh, focusing, and helping people really learn how to integrate emotions into their needs and learn how to be more authentic and autonomous, just really working to help people make peace with their emotions and work on that that type of transformation. So uh, she teaches as an adjunct professor and teaches telehealth or does telehealth work and coaching 
and helping people uh, learn how to regulate their emotions. So Julia, welcome to our podcast. We're so glad to have you here. Great. It's great to be here. Did I miss anything in your bio? Anything else you want to add? No, I think that, that <laughs> probably, I mean, I, I, it's interesting how we shift our focus as time goes on, right? And so that emotions focus piece has been really in the last, I would say five years, just really changed my whole perspective about how mm. to work with people and integrate around mental health and just relationships in general. Oh yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Yeah, it is. It is clarifying as you get going and you start to recognize areas, deficits, and even passions, things that just, you feel like you really, I know for me, just in my work, it's just like, man, I care a lot about this and mm-hmm. feel like I've, I've got something here. So yeah, I love that you've made that your focus and look forward to digging in with you on that. So the video that was sent to me was actually a TikTok video and you do a lot of teaching and just short clips on, on TikTok. And mm-hmm. it seems like you've had a really good response to it. Yeah, I think one of the things that I recognized, especially just being on TikTok, talking through my clips, but just watching other creators as well, is that there's just a really big deficit in you know work around relationships and the need that people are really hurting in their relationships. And I don't think that I I recognize that on a bigger scale about how many people are really just, even if they are in relationships, really suffering through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause a lot of the content, a, a lot of it does seem to focus on, you know, individual stuff or, I mean, one, you know, that I see a lot, a lot of people are talking about narcissism mm-hmm. and it, it seems to create almost more divisions of just making us suspect of each other and not really knowing how to talk or work through stuff together or even understand or care about the impact we have on each other. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I love I love that that's been your focus, and I I was just immediately drawn to your approach and the things you were saying, and that and so let's just dive in the the video and that you know that uh, and I'm I think I'll probably put a link to it in the in the show yeah, notes that's here. That's a good idea. So I think people I think it's really really concise and and great what you shared, but uh, this idea of responding to a relationship crisis or responding to a relationship struggle in a transactional way versus a transformational way. Mm-hmm. And so I don't expect you to go back through and recreate the, the five minute video right now, but, it, but even if you could s- summarize or even set the stage for what these terms even mean mm-hmm. and really give us some context for that, then we can keep going from there. Yeah, no, that's a great place to start. So what I, what I find happening in therapy sometimes when I'm working with people is that there's a problem set in the relationship and people sometimes scramble in behavior change without really intentionally thinking about what they're trying to solve. And so that's a transactional type of way of problem solving. So what I'm actually doing is I'm just sort of throwing darts at a board. Is this behavior change going to fix it? Is this behavior change going to fix it? And it's an interesting way to solve an emotive-based problem. So if the problem feels to me often like there's an emotional disconnect and behaviors aren't going to fix that. The only way that we really fix an emotional disconnect is to learn skills and transformational skills. What creates a more engaged, more receptive, more loving husband or wife or parent or whatever the case may be. And those skills require willingness to be vulnerable and explore emotion so that we have language between us about what we're feeling and what we're thinking. And so 
I think sometimes the approach of, you know, shifting quickly into some behavior changes without like pulling back for a minute and going, what skills am I missing? Mm. What things do I not do well or hear well or get defensive around? And so only when we start to do that sort of transformational work where I shift into becoming a more emotionally present person, am I actually able to solve the problem? You look like the wheels were turning. Not, I don't have anything to say yet. I have, I have a couple of questions <laughs> okay. if I can jump in. So do you feel like, well, before I ask that question, let me just maybe clarify a couple of things for those listening. So when you're talking about a transactional response, you're talking about a behavioral response mm-hmm. to an emotional problem. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about, you know, for example, if, if a wife is saying, you know, I feel really lonely and he mm-hmm. kicks into high gear and starts doing all the dishes every night. Right. You're saying that's not going to address a loneliness. In fact, mm-hmm. it's probably going to pull them further apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's breed resentment. Right. Breed resentment. And so I want to take that further. Like, what about a transactional response to an emotional problem creates more of that divide? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you'd see them on the surface, like, and especially I think for men, we, we're so linear. We tend to think in terms of solutions. We tend to like become really behavioral, really action oriented, really concrete. And so a lot of this stuff intuitively makes sense to us as men mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we just like want to do something, anything, mm-hmm. but the transactional nature of it or the behavioral nature of it is a huge miss. Can you say more about that? Why is it missing so much there? Yeah. You know, I think that the miss is that women, and again, I, you know, I, I'm stereotyping here, but this is generally women who are saying they feel disconnected yeah. and lonely and men on the other side of that, but it can be reversed. But I think that what happens in those cases is that women are wanting vulnerability and closeness. And I think at the point in time where they can actually begin to articulate that, like, I just feel really lonely. I resent that you're not around. And then the scrambling to do transactional things almost incites or further propels the understanding that, oh, this is as far as you'll go, but you won't do the thing that I'm asking you to do, which is spend time with me, right? So it's almost, well, I don't really know how to say it. It's, it almost feels like, I think what it comes down to is like a power and control dynamic. I, I think I touch on that a little bit in the, in the video is that if I'm emotionally withholding, then I actually have the power, right? The mm-hmm. other person is kind of scrambling, trying to get us to engage. And even if I'm doing transactional things, what is happening is that that power differential is still there. As long as I'm not willing to do emotionality or vulnerability, what I'm saying is I'm still holding the control. I'm not willing to share it with you. I'm not willing to be on equal ground and I'm not willing to take that risk. Mm -hmm. And so no matter what else is happening, I'm still not able to, you're the keeper and the holder of what I want, which is you and closeness and connection. And so these other things almost feel inciting, like, okay, so you're still not going to give me what you want and you're wanting me to believe this is enough. I think that that's Mm -hmm. what happens. Mm -hmm. And do you see that happening on purpose, like deliberately? Yeah, that's a great question. I don't, I think it feels deliberate in relationships. I don't think it's deliberate. I think it's literally a foundational skill issue. I think that we're in a crisis in this country And I think probably worldwide about roles of men and women 
And I have to believe that if men, I see it in my practice, right? As soon as even myself as a therapist, and I don't know if this feels differently for you, Jeff, when you're working with men versus me as a female working with men and how that might feel different. But I can sense that terror almost, that absolute fear that men often have in just dropping the mask, even in therapy, right? So it shouldn't matter what I see or or what I think as the therapist, but it's the freeze response, right? That amygdala hijacking, you know, it's the fawning piece, that transactional element where I'm just throwing stuff at the board trying to fix it. I think it matters to men. I just don't think they have the language or the capacity. And I think that that's probably a lot of socialization about it's not safe for men to be vulnerable. And I see a ton of TikToks and it's hard for me as a therapist, as a woman to see men noting that, like saying, you know, as soon as I drop my mask and you see the real stuff, women go running and scrambling the other way. There's a whole other side to this that, you know, I'm not addressing the TikTok, but Mm-hmm. I have to believe that it's not, I don't think that people intend to hurt people. I think it's, right, lack of skill and even awareness or even language to even begin to talk about what's happening to me in this moment where I'm angry with you and defensive when all you really want is me and vulnerability. Yeah. Why would that make me angry, right? Yeah. So I'm curious, it seems to me, and I don't know if this is just a d- dated experience, but it seems to me that there's a piece of the conversation that also has to do with the idea that men could build emotional skill is really just asking men to be more like women. Mm. I don't, well, say more about that. What do you mean? Well, based on what I've heard and, and read, it's that women come, that they have natural tendencies toward like a, a emotional affiliation that it, that's, and I'm certain that a lot of socialization goes into that, but that there are also just basic gender differences there in terms of capacity. And I don't, I don't know anything about research about that or anything that's like mm-hmm. scientifically grounded. It's just kind of what, based on like what I hear in conversation. And so my question is, is stepping into the emotional world something that that you're aware of that is just necessary for a healthy human experience? Mm-hmm. Or are there gendered nuances there? Biologically, we evolved with emotion, right? And, you know, the function of emotion. So maybe that's a good place to start, right? The function of emotion is sensory information or input from our environment at any given time, just giving us information. So every time I feel angry, it just says, hey, you need to set up a boundary. Every time I have sadness, it says, oh, you need to pull people closer. All of our emotion is meant to give us real-time information about what we need. No different than if I like go outside and I'm in Wisconsin and it's cold out and I'm in a t-shirt, I need a jacket and right goosebumps Mm -hmm. are going to tell me I'm not equipped. So I want us to just think about emotion that way. If we look at it that way, we can see the valuable information, like how are we operating without that? And I Mm -hmm. think most of our emotional dysregulation and much of our mood disorders are based on the fact that we... People are afraid to have these feelings, but I can't be effective if I can't read my environment in real time. So I think of emotion like a biological function that evolved with us for a really good reason. Because otherwise, all we would be doing is operating from our values, our morals, our beliefs, and it wouldn't matter how that comes across with people, places, and things then. We would Mm -hmm. just be, right? 
So I think biologically, foundationally, everybody needs to read and reflect emotion. I think socialization is a whole different thing. I think both men and women really distrust emotion because I think our culture tells us. I think our culture says, don't trust your emotion, it'll lead you astray. But I think at the end of the day, I don't think we would have evolved with emotion if we weren't meant mm. to utilize it. So I think I'll, I'll just put it that way. I think there's, I think it's really necessary to be effective. Yeah, I appreciate that. What a great response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and I think, I mean, you know, responding just, you know, we're talking about some, maybe some gender differences. I think a lot of, I know for myself and a lot of men that I work with and men that I'm close to, friends that I have, you know, the majority of us did not have models for how to do this mm -hmm. in a modern context. Mm -mm. You know, we're, we're dealing with old rules, old, old programming around showing up and really in some ways just having, you know, a very narrow sort of like contribution to relationships, to home and family, mm -hmm. to society. And mm -hmm. although it's a critical and important contribution, we just have more expectations in our relationships now. We just do. Like mm -hmm. men are expected to show up in bigger ways and our fathers and grandfathers weren't expected to do those things. And so a lot of us are kind of pioneers or first generation, you know, trying to show up in these ways. And a lot of the times we do rely on the emotional labor of our wives, girlfriends, partners to carry that. And I, and I think that that does carry a tremendous toll. I mean, I certainly have, you know, in my own marriage done that where there's not been an equal partnership balance in terms of that emotional labor. And so there's had to be a lot of growing and maturing and, you know, just accountability around that. And that's like, you're saying like, that's not a transactional thing. That's not me just hustling off on the side, doing more of maybe what as a man, I'm, I'm more programmed to do, which is just to like knock stuff out, work things out, you know, just check off boxes. Mm -hmm. It's about yeah. turning and facing and doing what feels some, and sometimes like some of the hardest, most confusing work I've ever had to do. But yet that's exactly what's needed. And, and that's, that's, I think, where we get into now this transformational idea, because I think mm -hmm. men in general, we're really, really good naturally at the transactional stuff. But mm -hmm. I think, like you said, it breeds the resentment on the partner who feels in the one down still. But I think it also breeds resentment on the part of the man in the case of this gender split that we're talking about, mm -hmm. who feels like their efforts, his efforts mean nothing, mm -hmm. that like his intentions and his heart and all his sacrifice and hard work and desires and scrambling don't seem to be moving the needle at all. And so I think it's a, yeah. it's a tragedy for both people. Well, and you know, so I would be interested to know what you think about this, but I think about where did that value come from, right? Mm -hmm. This value, this idea that what a man is valuable around is what he can produce and what he can provide. Right. And then uh, and one other piece, and then I'll, and then I'm just curious what you think, but I think the biggest indicator of what I'm saying here about transformational elements for men is that we have two sides of the same quarter. On one side, we have homicide. On one side, we have suicide. Men are out here at astronomical levels, either expressing rage externally and hurting people or expressing rage internally yeah. and hurting themselves. Something is not working for men. And, you know, so I, I reflect that back to you. One, right? This idea that we, we keep propelling that men's value is in what they can provide. And then how does that relate to like the frustration and the exhaustion that we're seeing in rates around suicide and homicide? What are your thoughts? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I, I certainly have felt some of that rage. I've certainly felt some of that internal collapse where what I do naturally in terms of doing things, taking care of things in some contexts is rewarded and it's exactly what's needed. And I'm good at it. And maybe in a relational context or, you know, even just interper like intrapersonally and so on, it doesn't change anything. And so I think, I guess one thought on that that I have is that I think it's important for men and for those who are working with men, for us to expand the definition of what it means to provide. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm going to provide connection, if I'm going to provide emotional safety, if I'm going to provide presence and vulnerability with my wife and children, even though that has a, th there is a doing element to it, there is an action that goes with it. Mm -hmm. It's not a solo scrambling effort. It's about tuning in and being present and, and sort of surrendering and basically, you know, co-creating with someone, mm -hmm. which oftentimes providing is, I think, seen as a very solitary lone wolf kind of endeavor, which yeah. most men that I know, including myself, like we're fine doing that. Like mm -hmm. we don't think of it as in terms of something we need to do with someone else. Mm -hmm. You know, we go out and provide and take care of that and come home and, you know, certainly want the parade or the pat on the back or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I think this co-creating is foreign to a lot of men. It certainly was for me. And it's something I'm still learning and working on with Jody and my kids is learning how to do that in a way that is relational. And that is such an expansive definition of providing beyond yeah. just putting a piece of meat on the table, you know? Yeah. Well, and I, and I feel like this might be part of this disconnect, which is that, you know, where we are culturally now, the value of providing you know, a man providing in, you know, for his family has shifted where mm -hmm. women don't necessarily need right. provision in that sense. And That's so the right. value of that drops for women. But the good thing about that is that women are saying, we really just want men to show up and, yeah. you know, to connect with us that I think most women would say, if I'm speaking for most women would say, I just want to know that you have value for me as well. Right. And so outside of these tra these traditional roles, like that you really like me, that you really want to spend time with me. And that should be flattering, right? Like, I don't understand quite how that has become something that's not flattering, but it should be really flattering. And it seems like that's the rub, right? It's that men, I hear men say like, you know, you're not appreciative of all the things that I provide. And then women are often saying, well, but I don't necessarily need you to be that kind of provider. I can provide as well. But what I need provision around is that you actually like me and want to connect with me. Right. And so, and I guess if I'm a, if I'm a guy who doesn't know how to expand into that role of provision, like that I genuinely am engaging with you in that way, then that might be really intimidating. And even, you know, that word emasculation, it might even actually feel a little emasculating that you're asking me to do this really uncomfortable thing, which is to engage with me that way. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that's part of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, well put. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot to reflect. And I guess, you know, you're kind of speaking for all women. I'm kind of speaking for all men, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I think we've maybe, you know, we're, it's, I think it's okay to start, have it, have that as a starting point and then people can sort of figure out where they fit on that. But yes, I relate to that. I feel like that is a very, very real response, a real threat that, that comes up and it, and logically, when you break it down like that, it, it really shouldn't be so confusing, but I think instinctively it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think that the real work for therapists 
and this is where I'm challenged with this conversation, right? Is that when I think about women and men and the way that they're hurting in their relationships, right? It's not a cognitive process. So what I mean by that is that we can explain the problem. So, right, we can kind of say, hey, men and women, we have this disconnect about what feels nurturing and loving to us. And cognitively, we can all be on the same page and say, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, yep, I'm, I'm, not, I'm seeing you in a role and I'm not, I'm maybe not connecting. That doesn't mean that that explanation shifts anything in relationships. And so I think the real challenge is, you know, what does it mean to do emotions-based work? And so, Jeff, I don't know what training you had, but I reflect back on my undergrad and grad work. I don't think I had a single class on emotion literacy. literacy. I didn't have a single class on, you know, how, I mean, like, let's, let's just think about how absurd that is. We are dealing with people's emotion every single day. And if emotion has information and data and not a single class is given about, oh, hey, you know, so here's what depression means. Depression means you're not getting your needs met. And maybe that means you're in a maladaptive coping strategy. And like, even on a fundamental level in therapy as therapists, did you have any classes? I didn't have a single one. Everything I know about emotion, I had to go seek out and scour the internet and books about emotionality and what it means biologically. Yeah, I was 10 years into my career before I went and trained with Sue Johnson and mm. you know her group. I went to San Diego and, and spent uh, a week with her and started learning about emotionally focused therapy. And it was like a mm-hmm. light bulb went off. And I, I remember calling you, yeah. like I was like crying. I remember being tearful. Yeah. It was epic. Because it was mm-hmm. like stirring something inside of me. And I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like, I need to go back and apologize to 10 years worth of clients because <laughs> I don't know that I ever got to the heart of some things. And so it's on a personal level, it's been tremendous for me because I grew up, you know, I grew up in a home that was a loving family, but mm-hmm. very emotionally vacant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just not a lot of emotional connection, a lot, not a lot of emotional discussion. I, there's no language for it. And so for me, it was something I've had to learn as an adult and in my marriage with Jody. And mm-hmm. And then in my training as a therapist, like I've, I've sought out a lot of stuff to try and understand how to work better with these and especially with helping men with it. But you're right. We don't transform this stuff on the level of behavior or cognition. Right. And so I hold us as therapists kind of responsible sometimes too, because we're not equipped in our training to validate emotion as normal and real and telling us something, right? And if we don't get it, Right. So the the folks who do emotions focused therapy, but you and I both know cognitive behavioral therapy is like eighty percent of the therapists out there. Mm-hmm. Insurance companies love the the <laughs> Right. They, sure they love do. the really like concrete, you mm-hmm. know, C B T kind of stuff. And this emotion stuff, it's just too Yeah. Right. It's just too hard to measure. But well, it's I would challenge yeah. I would challenge that therapists really like it because it's concrete. Right. I think that therapists sometimes are really uncomfortable with getting into like, it's much yeah, easier that's to say, fair. Well, what that's, are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. that's good. I, I agree. It helps, helps us with our own discomfort. Oh yeah, that's very true. Yeah. We, we have an adult child who is, is very, just by nature, a, a young boy who's in his 20s, mm-hmm. um, very emotionally attuned and that he understands that and he kind of has nurtured that in his life and he has a really hard time navigating social experiences because nobody else knows what to do with that. Yeah. They don't want to go there. They don't even know what to do with him. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all- Even women. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so real. They're just like, ah. <laughs> it feels overwhelming to people. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Like people yeah. are just like, wow, you're a lot or. Yeah. 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 Fascinating. Yeah, Cause he can go there to him. He's like, yeah, feelings, man. This is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'll like works. look and right. He'll like, like look right I just your... want to eat my feelings. Yeah. I just want to <laughs> shove them in. You know, there's people sometimes joke. even the way he looks at me. Like I'm just like, oh wow, he like really he sees me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he really. Yeah. So that can be uncomfortable for sure. Oh, I bet. I hadn't yeah. thought of it on the other way around, but yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So this reflex, this re- this sort of natural tendency again when there's problems for guys to kick into transactional thinking and transactional behaviors, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a huge miss, it's like we can validate the intention, right? We can validate the scramble and the desire. But to me, there's, there's this sort of like humility that has to come with it, which mm-hmm. I think oftentimes is missing, which is like, it's kind of an all or nothing, like take my scramble, take my offer, take all my, all my transactional stuff, or you don't care about me versus mm-hmm. really caring and understanding whether this is hitting the mark or not. Because even if it's like, I'm doing all these things and the other person says, that's not it. It's an invitation to go into this transformational space, mm-hmm. right? So, okay, we might lead with the transaction. That's fine. That's probably pretty standard and reflexive. But at whatever point it's not working or they discover that it's not connecting or it just pulls things further apart. Julie, can you introduce us into what this transformational space might start to look like? Like what it looks and feels like? What are some of the initial steps to start to slow down and get into that? Yeah. So, so I'm going to frame it in. So the work that I do as far as coaching or even therapy, I do a little bit of both still. So everything is about avoidance, right? Everything is about avoiding pain. So your brain can't tell the difference between like good pain versus, or like helpful growth pain versus like, you know, uh, something that puts us at risk. And so when we talk about emotion regulation and where transformation comes in, we have to first unwind where we are being reactionary. So that's the first introduction to, let's just take a step back and look at how we're engaging with each other. Where am I just being reactionary? Where I'm just going into either action or I'm just trying to fix it, or yeah. I'm just, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in this quick response because that's an anxious response. That's an avoidance response. What am I really missing? And that can, sorry, let me just jump in. That can mm -hmm. show up just for illustration purposes. That can show up as the, you're saying like, that's the, the reaction is oftentimes the transactional behavior, like the doing the dishes or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, scrambling and, you know, just doing all these kind of behavioral things and out of an anxiety to try and fix it. But it's, it's all still the same kind of avoidance Mm -hmm. that was going on before. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would absolutely say that much of the transactional stuff is actually just more avoidance. I'm making an effort and I think it's maybe an effort, but I'm, I'm not being intentional about it because I'm not really fixing the problem. Yeah. So peeling that back, what I have to do is figure out what is it that I'm doing in these moments where I get really defensive or I get really, uh, I'm transactional, maybe I'm ruminating, maybe I'm doing something that is not effective in the moment to solve the problem because after all this time, I haven't solved the problem, mm-hmm. right? And what it often looks like are coping mechanisms that are default, right? We default to our brain, not to our body. So somatic work is all of our emotions are in our body. If we can teach people how to read those somatic responses, then we can teach people how to respond appropriately and effectively in the moment. 
So what happens with people who are highly reactive is that they just go into coping skills. They ruminate, they mask, they you know use substances sometimes, they get hostile, whatever that is. That's actually a defense mechanism. And right underneath that defense mechanism is the real emotion. So when we do transformational work, what we do is we target, what are you doing to avoid feeling your feelings? Because everybody who can't feel it is avoiding it through a really well-oiled machine of coping in a way that keeps me from ever having to feel it. So once we can get through that, then we can have people sort of track like, oh yeah, every time you tell me that I'm not there for you, I go in my head and I start to think about all the resentments I have and how nothing's ever good enough or whatever. But what I really know about that is I must be having really big feelings in the moment. That what my thoughts are telling me aren't really very reflective of what's happening in the moment. What am I feeling? And it's probably hurt, right? We feel hurt here in the middle of our chest. And if I can start to code what I feel and then integrate it into what I'm thinking, I can come up with a response that's actually really healthy. So I shift out of maladaptive coping into good coping by being able to reflect what I'm feeling. So what that might sound like is something like, oh, yeah, you were saying these things. I immediately went into rumination. And then when I scanned, I went, oh, that just really hurts my feelings. Or I just feel really sad about how disconnected we are. And so maybe my action is to just say, tell me more, or what do you think? I'm much more likely to avoid transactionally trying to fix it and more likely to ask good questions about, this is how I feel. This is what I know it means. How do we come back together and fix it? But until I can, until I can target what I'm doing to avoid all of that feeling in the first place, I never get anywhere. All I'm ever doing is... Um, <laughs> ending up with an outcome that I have guilt and shame about or anger and frustration about, and we just perpetuate the cycle again and again and again. So we have to teach people how to feel their feelings and then integrate it with their thinking. This makes for really effective problem solving. But if I can't access it, I'm not going to be really effective in any... I can't I can't access the information that helps me fix it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So can you give us an example with an emotion that somebody mm-hmm. might be avoiding um, Mm -hmm. and how you would help them identify it in their body so that they could then just have a healthier response. Yeah. So I'll pick the emotion of anger in particular with women, because we tend to be a little bit socialized out of it, right? Where we tend to be, Mm -hmm. it's not an attractive trait for women to have anger. So anger is generally felt in the gut, like a fist or like a heaviness. And so let's say that you and I are in an argument together, Jody, and you mm-hmm. say something to me and I immediately start to feel it in my stomach. What I need to recognize is that in this moment, anger is saying, hey, that's not fair. That's what anger says in her head. Like, that's not fair. And all I really need to do in that moment in a very assertive manner is just to say, hey, Jody, what you just said, that doesn't feel okay to me. Like, I'm not really sure what you meant by that. Could you clarify? Or, you know, I don't like it when, right, these kind of really assertive things. And if I can read that in the moment, I can fix the problem in the moment. I don't have to ruminate about it in the long run. So like in relationships, when women have this intense anger in their relationships with their significant other, it's often because they feel their anger, they stuff that anger down and they go into the opposite response, which is this sort of masking fawning response, which is Mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm not going to show that I'm angry and I'm going to double down on being kind or gracious, hoping 
that my care for you will help you see that you should return that care. That's a really maladaptively unsuccessful mm-hmm. strategy. It's just going to make me more angry. So does that does that make sense? So if I can yeah. if I can quote it specifically, like with anger, then I just go, oh hey, it's anger. You know what? Anger just wants me to make sure that I'm I'm keeping myself safe, and so I just need to say something in the moment. Mm-hmm. And if we could just learn to do that, yeah, boy, simple we would, step. We would, yeah, we would be really effective in our relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that because when people are bringing things to each other, they're bringing it on that emotional level, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. like usually being driven by some emotion. Mm-hmm. It's not coming, it's not like a thought. And right. so when it, when it's met, you know, when, when that emotion then sends signals over you, the other person's going to feel an emotion. It's going to trigger something and mm-hmm. getting access to that is really the key. Cause without that information, like you said, then it just goes into the avoidance or what can then feel like abandonment to the other person. You know, if all of a sudden that emotion triggers something, but I don't have access to it and I go in my head and ruminate or start just, you know, kicking butt, doing chores, you know, and I'm just like knocking things out thinking I'm like, I've essentially abandoned myself and my partner. Yes. It's just like a total miss there. And mm-hmm. and then of course, like we said earlier, the tragedy is that, you know, you you think your intentions are probably, you know, are, look good on the surface, but it's really just tons mm-hmm. of fear and yes. avoidance. Yeah. Yeah. I see that every day. Mm-hmm. I see yeah. that every day. And I've done it. I mean, I, I relate to it. I understand it. It's a very natural process. And slowing that mm-hmm. down does require some practice. So yeah. So I have a quick question then too, because I, in terms of this whole process, I mean, it, it, to me, it does sound very simple to be able to begin to build that skill set. Mm-hmm. But I do also know that there is a tendency, and maybe this is why we in some ways feel a little bit fearful of emotions and giving them too much airtime is because they can spiral out of control. Somebody can make a lifestyle out of nursing their wounds. You've hurt Mm -hmm. my feelings Mm -hmm. and you've still hurt my feelings and my feelings are so hurt. And so do you have anything to share about how Mm -hmm. as we're practicing those skills and trying to build those and the listeners Mm -hmm. as well to things to look out for, any any suggestions that you have in terms of keeping that balance? Yeah. So I think that we are as likely to have maladaptive, when I say maladaptive coping, I just mean like I'm coping in a way that makes the problem worse, right? Sure. Yeah. So we can actually get just as stuck in our brains maladaptively as we can with our feelings. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So if I'm a ruminator what I'm doing is I'm thinking, I'm not sitting with the feeling, right? The feeling is probably driving the rumination, but the rumination is just a coping mechanism so that I never have to take a real risk in real time. That's the whole point of rumination, right? Is that I just kick in the can down the road, trying to find a solution that feels okay, even though I should be taking action now. So we can get just as stuck in our brain as we can in our emotions. I think that I make it sound really easy I think by the time that we see clients who have been in years worth of this kind of frustrating dynamic, you're not talking about just primary emotions. Now you're talking about secondary emotions. And now you're talking about other elements that make it very hard to unwind, right? Mm -hmm. So where I might have had hurt feelings and abandonment, now I have anger that I have hurt feelings and abandonment. And also I have anxiety because you're not safe and I feel hurt and abandoned and angry. So 
it takes a lot of the longer the process goes on, the harder it is to unwind. So I make it sound easy. It's much more difficult than what I'm saying, but totally possible. Mm-hmm. The other part is that if I'm lingering in a feeling, so what you were saying, Jody, about, you know, sometimes people just kind of so identify with their emotion or mm-hmm. they, they're so locked into an emotion that they can't see past the emotion either. And I would say that if, so that's a therapy issue, right? I am dysregulated emotionally somehow where I, my thinking and my feelings don't match. Mm-hmm. So I want you to think of it kind of like, you know how you know something's not your fault, but it doesn't matter. You have this nagging feeling that it's yeah. my fault. Yeah. So that's stored trauma, right? Mm-hmm. That these two yeah. things don't match. And that's how you know you really need to do some therapy because lingering okay. feelings stored in the body suggest childhood wounding, suggest all kinds of different pieces. And that usually comes into play. That's how we get into relationships that actually can spiral out in this way, right? Is unmet childhood needs that are now propelled into my next relationship. So, you know, I think that all of that is information, whether I'm getting stuck in my head or I'm getting stuck in my emotion. Both are super good information to say, oh, I'm just stuck. Stuck. I need help unwinding. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. And to not be discouraged or ashamed that 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 might be you know, be a a freeze response or that there might be something Mm -hmm. stuck there, but that it's just a signal that there's, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. just more work to do there compassionately. Yeah, absolutely. And compassionately, absolutely. Right. It's just wounding. Something Mm -hmm. happened and and it's just information. So let's go back and see what it's about and see if Mm -hmm. we can work to resolve it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. That's hopeful. So Really, you know, I know that we've covered a lot of ground here and just as we're wrapping up here, I, I want to review for a second, you know, when there's a crisis or when, when one partner, again, in, in the, in the uh, scenarios we've talked about, when a wife or a, a partner, when she's coming to him and saying, I'm lonely, I'm struggling, this isn't working, I'm, I'm whatever. And he immediately goes into avoidance, mm-hmm. right? The, the emotion he doesn't have a dashboard, doesn't have any access to the emotions, doesn't know what to do with it. It gets overwhelmed and kind of kicks into a, a more of an instinctive or reflexive thing, which is behavioral, again, transactional, which is if I do these things and this will fix this, or if I do these things and you owe me this, or if I can do these measurable things and everything will be fine. It's a solo endeavor. It's a form of really just breaking further away, pulling away. It's more abandonment. It's more disconnection. It's more isolation. When all that's going on, nothing will transform in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so the transformational work happens, like you're saying, the minute, at whatever point in the sequence, the minute that the person receiving this pain can tune in and slow down and start to identify what that pain touches inside of them mm-hmm. and then use that information and integrate it with their brain and you know, start to maybe co-create some solutions, or maybe there are some ideas of what to do, but even just to let it just touch them, let it just affect them, let them just identify what it is and just in some ways not even do anything with it right away, mm-hmm. just identify it and notice it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, like you said, that's where the transformation starts to happen because now the the relationship, the the connection is starting to mend versus it just becoming wider and, and more mm-hmm. broken apart with all this mm-hmm. activity and reactivity. Mm-hmm. So that slowing down and letting it feel, but that, again, that is a very foreign thing 
And mm-hmm. oftentimes people don't have any map for that or modeling. They've never seen what it looks like, but that's the work and that's where to go. Do you teach? I know that you you have your social media stuff that you're doing, but uh, we'd love to know what kind of work are you offering to folks out there who want to learn how to do this better? Yeah. So I just started um, doing some coaching with individuals. And so it's a 10-week program. And what it is, is taking the first half of those 10 weeks and doing that pulling back instead of trying to forcefully fix the relationship. Mm-hmm. We're going to come back and, and evaluate where are you at with emotional regulation? Where are you at with your coping mechanisms? Can we catch them in real time and really start to work on you know how do we center an emotion so that we can make better informed processes? And then from there, it's a lot of the stuff that I think a lot of people do, which is practicing slowing it down, mindfulness and interpersonal effectiveness and being assertive and finding those ways of like, how do I ask for what I need? So in that coaching process, that's typically what I do. I mean, I literally teach emotional intelligence <laughs> on a, you know, at a college level. I do it in therapy. I do it in coaching. Like just that piece about teaching people to just regulate emotion, slow down to get command mm-hmm. and control and mastery. That part is probably the most effective thing I've seen across the board. Right. And really needs a lot of attention. It's not something a lot of us do. I mean, it makes for better dialogue politically. It makes better dialogue Mm -hmm. in families interpersonally. Yeah. It's a much needed skill. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, Wonderful. Do you have any other questions? No, no, I don't. This has been fantastic. Yeah. Really, really wonderful to connect with you and talk through these things. And I know that it'll be totally beneficial to those who are listening. Um, It's, I've learned a lot today Mm -hmm. and it's, It's been really good to review and and connect and clarify a lot of these things that really do make the biggest difference in what can feel like a very confusing, overwhelming experience in relationships that are not working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I really appreciate you reaching out and having me on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. And we'll make sure to put your contact information in the show notes, but uh, really do appreciate your time today. Yeah. Yes, Julie. Thank you so much. We want to thank Julia for the great work that she's doing. You can actually contact her at emotionalpeaceuniversity at gmail.com and you can find out what she's got going on there. We really appreciate all the great work she's doing and just love talking to her about this really important topic. Once again, you can download the free course, The First Steps to Rebuilding Trust, using the link in the show notes. This will give you immediate access to the course and great information on how to rebuild trust and how to heal from broken trust. Thanks everyone for joining us every single week. It's great to be with you and we'll catch you in the next episode.